So this morning, I'm, I'm going to uh, share a one-off message from um, lessons from the early church. And uh, it's kind of very relevant to what we've just done as far as welcoming people into the body of Christ. And, um, and then next week, David will be speaking in the morning. I'm, I'm going to go up north, up, uh, up north, and uh, uh, it's my dad's 80th birthday next week. So, and he watches us online every week. So hello, Dad. And... Um, we will um, we'll be celebrating with him next week. And then in, in February, I'm going to start a series on uh, the vision and the values of the church. And those, those vision, those values that you see at the start of every service, that we want to be a Jesus-centered church. We want to be a Bible-based church. We want to be people-focused, and we want to be spirit-led. And we're going to be talking about that is that in the, next, in the, in the month of uh, February and, and what that means and how that is fleshed out. We're also going to be talking about, about serving and ministry and how to get involved. A number of you are fairly new to the church, and we want to, we want to spell that out for you in, in no uncertain terms, how you can play, take your part in the body of Christ and, and get involved. It's vital that you do. And, um, and we're going to lead into, at the, at the end of that series in, in March, into a, a ministry fair where we'll highlight all of the things that are going on in our church and how you can get involved and what the opportunities are. So I'm hoping that it'll be very inspiring but also practical and helpful to you. And then after that, we're going to look at the book of Habakkuk together. So that's, um, that's, where, we're, that's where we're heading in the next few weeks. Um, but this morning, I, I, I want to... I want to learn lessons from the early church as, as, we're, as we're welcoming in new members into church today, um, as we've made this, this pledge of a, a membership covenant, I think there are certain lessons that we can learn from the early church, and it's important to remind ourselves of these things. Um, so I, I want to read a few verses from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It's, the, the Holy Spirit has just been poured out at Pentecost, and the, the church is being born, the church is being birthed, and it's exciting times in many ways in the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, we read this in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How much of what happens in, in a church, in, in our life of faith, depends on us? And how much depends on God? This passage looks at what the early believers did and what God did amongst them and and both of those were exciting. There's three very important words in this passage. They devoted themselves. That's what we do. 
They devoted themselves. That's what these early believers did. Ray Ortland uh, wrote these words in a, in a blog on the Gospel Coalition. He said, When the early believers converted to Christ, it never occurred to them to fit him into the margins of their busy lives. They redefined themselves around a new immovable center. He was not an optional weekend activity, along with the kids' soccer practices. They put him and his church and his cause first in their hearts, first in their schedules, first in their budgets, first in their reputations, first in their very lives. They devoted themselves. Unmistakable evidence that the Holy Spirit was being poured out. Devoted means dedicated to a task, set apart, persistently faithful, loyal and loving. And this summary passage by Luke shows what happened on the human side. It wasn't just that God turned up and poured out his Holy Spirit upon the gathered people. There was something for them to do, something for them to uh, be involved in, something for them to devote themselves to. Dallas Willard, who's died now, but he, he wrote a book called The Great Omission, talking about the call to discipleship. And he said that grace, the favor of God, is opposed to earning. You cannot earn your salvation. You can't earn favor with God. Grace is opposed to earning. But, said Dallas Willard, it is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. And sometimes I think it's always a balancing act when we speak of grace, but we could kind of give up a sense of responsibility or a sense of, of effort, a sense of devotion, a sense of involvement, a sense of work. They devoted themselves to various things. The first thing that they devoted themselves to was to the apostles' teaching. Jesus said, when he was going to leave this earth, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I want you to teach them. I want them to be learners. I want them to be followers. Go and make disciples. The vision of Plymouth Christian Center is to love and serve people, enabling them to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. And Jesus said, go and do it and baptize them and teach them everything I have taught you. Bill Hull, in one of his books on discipleship, said, today's evangelical church has come to its anemic state primarily because of widespread ignorance of scriptural truth. Charles Swindle, for those of us who are of a certain age, you remember Charles Swindle? I grew up on his books and I read all of them and devoured them, but Charles Swindle said, it's no surprise that today's citizen is more biblically ignorant than people of virtually any other time since the Dark Ages. He argues that nothing has been more adversely affected by postmodernism than the church and its relationship to God's word, the Holy Scriptures. 
James Packer, for those of you who know his name, and his co-author Parrot, point out in their reflections on the early church, they say teaching, not just for the correcting of current errors, although there was much of that to be done, but for the maturing of the faithful in themselves was at the heart of their church life. And John Stott said, Jerome, the early church father, wrote that ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. And equally we may say, says John Stott, that knowledge of Scripture is knowledge of Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Having faith in God, I spoke about this um, last Sunday evening, about how we build faith into our lives. How can we increase our measure of faith? And the Bible says that we do that by hearing what God has to say over and over again and taking it to our heart and choosing to believe God over and over again. And the way that the Bible phrases that, in the message version, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. And so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. What are you hearing in this day and in this age? What are you imbibing? What are you listening to? I was talking to someone this week and, and they were saying there's a sense as they talk to people around the church body, sometimes there's a sense of anxiety at the moment, a sense of perhaps fear about what's going on in culture and society and in the economy and the cost of living crisis as this phrase has been coined and there's a sense of, um, of what, are we, what are we listening to? What are we imbibing? Because faith comes from hearing God's word over and over and over again and imbibing it and taking it into our heart and making it part of the fabric and the structure of our lives in such a way that it informs our decision making and it informs our worldview. It is the glasses through which we see the world. And so we have to start to listen to what God says. If the world says and the newspapers say and the television says that you do not have enough and you will not have enough, then you can start to believe that and you can be fearful. Or you can read what the Bible says and listen to what God says, who says that you will have enough, <laughs> that God will provide your needs, that God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He does promise you in Matthew 6, Jesus said that he would provide for you, that your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask it. He knows that you need the clothes to wear and the food to eat and a roof over your head. He knows these things. And, and who are you going to listen to? Because faith comes from listening to God. And faith comes through the word of Christ. The preached word of Christ, which is why it's so vital that we preach the word of God and preach the gospel faithfully and consistently, week in and week out, while we imbibe it through our singing and through the preaching of God's word and through meeting in homes in the week. But faith comes through engagement with God's word. 
I, I went for a run yesterday, and it's the first time that I've run in about two months, because I've had this persistent cold, and um, I've just not been running. So I, I ran yesterday, and it was hard work. <laughs> but I managed to run five miles. And, um, but you, are you aware of this app that you can get on your phone if you're sat on the couch, and uh, you do no exercise? You can get an app, and it's called Couch to 5K. And uh, it says, if you download this app, you can, you can get from being a couch potato <laughs> to running five kilometers by following simple little steps. And sometimes, when we start to talk about engaging with God's word or, or being grounded in God's word or hearing the teaching of, of the apostles, small steps can make a really big difference. As I said, if, 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 if we're imbibing the world's messages, we're going to live lives of fear and anxiety at the moment. And Christians are not exempt from this. And I seriously think that we need, more than ever, we need to ground ourselves in God's word. Now, for some of us, the reality is, the reality is, we are not reading the Bible at all <laughs> from week to week. That's our reality. We're just not. We're not engaging with it. We're not reading it. And I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say it to make you feel bad. I say it because it's the way it is. <laughs> and yet, I, I think for myself and for you and for us, more than ever, <laughs> we need to ground ourselves in God's word. <laughs> we need God's worldview more than ever. Because if we don't take God's view on the world, we're going to get somebody else's view. And we're going to believe it and we're going to imbibe it and we're going to live according to it. And so that means actively listening to, imbibing, engaging with Scripture. And we have to, at some level, start reading the Bible for ourselves. And I would say, if you're at the couch end of the app on reading your Bible, to take a small, small step, just the step that you can take, and expect God to increase your measure of faith. Start to get some chair time with God again. Start to read a psalm again. Start to get a book out and help you read the Bible again. There's so many tools to help us with this. Find a way again to engage with God's word. And that's just a, a nudge this morning, a, a reminder for all of us that we need to devote ourselves, <laughs> to apply the effort of ourselves, to engage with the apostles' teaching like this early church did. What would it look like if we devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching? The second thing that they devoted themselves to in the early church was they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to koinonia. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly or sisterly love. Greg Ogden uh, he's written various discipleship materials. So we, live, we live at a time of radical individualism that has torn the heart out of Christian community. The church, to a large degree, has allowed privatized faith to undermine the tight-knit community that it needed and is needed if disciples are to be formed. Emphasizing the absolute importance of community to spiritual growth as outlined in the New Testament, David Watson, if you remember him, wrote in his classic book on discipleship, 
that in the Western church, the emphasis has been excessively and unhealthily on the individual. We are the Facebook generation, and some of us have even moved on from Facebook now (laughs) to whatever's the latest thing. And on Facebook, some of us have thousands of friends, but very few, if any, real companions. And social networking, rather than strengthening the ability of young people to relate to each other and to the wider community, is a in a genuinely, mutually nurturing way, has in many ways diminished it. American pastor Mark Deaver says in his observations of the 20s to 30s age group in his congregation, because they relate so much through Facebook and Twitter, that creates a non-geographic passivity alien to earlier generations. And because many churches haven't reflected any kind of serious community They've come to understand Christianity to be very private. And Dallas Willard says that spiritual formation simply cannot go forward as it is intended by God unless the individual is incorporated into a body of believers where he or she can receive the benefit of the gifts that the others have. It's what we're talking about this morning as we talk about coming into church membership and pledging to become part of this body of Christ and to attend regularly and to serve faithfully and to give consistently. They devoted themselves to the koinonia. They devoted themselves to fellowship. I'm observing like you are and I'm trying to work it out like you are through this aftermath of a pandemic and through the structural changes that have taken place in society because of that and church attendance and online attendance and working from home and all of that I think I think we are working through that as a society at the moment and I don't think we've arrived yet where we need to arrive but I think it's changed people's perceptions and people's attitudes to coming out, turning up. I don't think at a personal level, I'm just, I don't think it's sustainable. The working at home culture um, across the board, I don't think that's sustainable. I think, I think there's a healthiness to turning up to a place of work. I think, I think there's a healthiness to the community aspect, at least I will say that, and I think that's what we're missing out on in many ways as individuals We've become very individualized. We've become very isolated. And it's happened across the church body as well. And I met with a bunch of pastors this week, and it's right across the church, right across the nation. And and we were discussing also the passing of a generation, the boomer generation, who would turn up for everything, who would serve faithfully in everything. And there's a, a crossing of the generations. And the challenge to the younger generations uh, and we're very blessed. I, I, came, I went to the young adults group on Monday night. We have a great set of young adults, and we are, I'm so pleased with what, what, what's happening amongst them, and yeah. I think they're yeah. brilliant <laughs> and um, top-notch. <clears throat> the challenge is for us across, across the generations is to work this out, because... Growing up in church, it used to be that you would turn up every week. 
And uh, for, for me, my rhythm as a child was I would go to church at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and then I would go to Sunday school at 12.30, and then we'd go around to somebody's house for lunch, and then we'd come back for the 6.30 evening service, and then we'd go to youth at 8.30, and, um, and we would do this week in and week out, and then we'd have youth on Friday, and, and that, that was a model for them, that was the society of whatever it was, the 70s, and it, and it was different than it is now, and it, I'm not saying that we need to emulate that in any way, shape, or form, but we had a sense of devotion to the church fellowship. And we were raised as children, and this is important for parents, we were raised, it was, it was not really optional, it wasn't optional. It wasn't a, do we feel like going to church today? It, it wasn't, that mindset just wasn't there. There was a, there was a level of devotion, a level of, of commitment, a level of just simple belief and structure of our lives around the centrality of the church body and church attendance. Now today, for faithful attendance for most people, and this is the statistics that go across churches, is, is that faithful attendance for most people these days means two out of four, or, or, or just kind of turning up to, uh, yeah, a couple of services out of four or six, or two out of four Sundays, depending on what else we've got on. And I'm just asking the questions of us, what it means for us in this day, in this age, in a social media age, in an online age, in a, in a cross-generational kind of passing of the baton, what does it mean for us to de- be devoted to the koinonia, fellowship of the body of Christ? Because this was a place where God poured out his spirit and his blessing and added to their number daily. Now, I happen to think that as a church body, we are very blessed with very many committed people that turn up and show up and serve and help and and uh, we were reflecting on our church this week, and one of our staff teams said, we, we feel very blessed at this church with the amount of volunteering and involvement and service. And yes. so I feel, I feel all of that. So this is, not, this is not a condemnatory message in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's me asking the questions, really, and for us to think about what does it mean for us to commit to the canonia, the fellowship, of the body of Christ. And I do think there's an importance of a physicality, of a geographic physicality, of being present to one another in the building, in the flesh, in the homes. <laughs> I think that is so important. I think that's the way we grow together. That's the way we get outside of ourselves, outside of our selfishness, outside of our isolation, outside of our loneliness, which Mother Teresa said is the modern epidemic. Romans 12 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Being devoted to the church, to fellowship, to community, to kononia. Every day, it says, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. There was something happening there. What might it look like for us and for you and for me to be devoted to fellowship? And for some of us, it may be that we need to raise our game there a little or change our habits somewhat. And one of the specific ways that we can do this is through hospitality. The third thing that they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. 
And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And Romans 12, 13 says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is talking about the Lord's Supper, but it's talking about so much more. As Eugene Peterson said, the Lord's Supper is only the final culminating meal of so many meals that the Lord Jesus had throughout his life and his ministry on this earth. They used to take communion in the early church, the Lord's Supper, as part of a larger gathering where they would take time to eat together. And James Wilhoit writes of the concern at the loss of patterns of nurture that have served past generations well, including such things as practicing hospitality and intergenerational socializing. As he states, there is much practical wisdom in the long-time Christian practice of having shared meals together. Because eating a meal is one thing that pulls us out of our future orientation and causes us to dwell for a time in the present. Alan Roxburgh says, hospitality, a profoundly Christian habit, is a radically alternative practice in a culture where people feel like strangers to one another. He calls for the recovery of the ancient practice, encouraging believers to open their homes to the stranger, perhaps once a month to start with a stranger being perhaps a neighbor or a work associate or an acquaintance from a coffee shop or a sports team. They called Jesus a glutton and a wine-bibber because he ate and drank with so many people. It was his form of disciple-making, of going into homes and eating with people. And as I've said before, the word companion in English comes from the words companis, to share bread, from the French word copain, to share bread, to break bread together. And one of our values as a church is that we eat together quite a lot. <laughs> After our service today, we've got a connect lunch, which is just really about having lunch together, and it's just a chance to, to talk over food, over lunch, to get to know a few people. It's so important. It's an essential element of discipleship. And they devoted themselves to it. They devoted themselves to eating together, to breaking bread together, to hospitality. And as a church, I feel that this is what we need to do. And food is an important element of that. And fourthly, they devoted themselves to prayer. In Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Be happy in your hope. Do not give up when trouble comes. And do not let anything stop you from praying. They devoted themselves to the prayers, it, it means. In, in five out of ten New Testament uses of the word devoted, the word applies to prayer. In Acts 1.14, 2.42, 6.4, Colossians 4 verse 2, Romans 12 verse 12, the devotion that is spoken of is one to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. The monks, of course, do this, and I've been staying with the monks on occasion, and they do it seven times a day. Daniel did it three times a day. Where he devoted himself to prayer. And it was what highlighted and what defined Daniel's life as a believer. And uh, we read in Daniel 6 verse 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, a bad law, <laughs> an anti-Christian law, 
We have a few of those around at the moment. He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. There's formal prayer and there's informal prayer. But this was where God could do something, where God could break in. A people devoted to prayer. We have um, various expressions of this in our, in our church. We, we meet in homes, in community groups, and we pray together in homes. And it's a place where we can pray for one another and with one another and minister to one another in prayer. And I think it's a vital thing. We have here on a Wednesday morning, an early morning prayer meeting at 7 a.m. every week where faithful people come together and pray. And, and Julie, one of our elders, leads that group. And, and you're very welcome to come before work for half an hour or an hour and come and pray with us and pray with those that join together to, to, to meet and to pray. We have our morning, uh, Wednesday morning prayer center every week where a number of people come out from 10.30 on a, on a Wednesday morning and there's extended times of prayer and ministry uh, for one another and with one another and, uh, and a focus on worship and prayer. It's a, it's a lovely sense of God's presence here and many of you enjoy that on a weekly basis. You're very welcome to come to that if you're not at work. We have an encounter meeting on the first Sunday of every month where, of an evening where we devote time to pray and to pray for one another and with one another. And but they, they devoted themselves to prayer and, uh, and we are called to do the same. These are the things that this new community did. They did what they did and then God did what God did. They devoted themselves. And there's an element of that over each one of us. I'm not interested in sermons that tell us just to try harder, work harder, turn up more, pray more, read your Bible more. <laughs> I don't need any more sense of guilt or condemnation, and then you don't need it either. Sometimes we need that encouragement, that reminder that we can do this. We can take that next little step. We can, we can start to revive again. Remember the, the challenge to the churches in Revelation? Do the things that you did at first. <laughs> you know, I'm really pleased with you. You're a serving, hard-working church. I'm really pleased with you, Jesus says, but I, I've got this against you. You've lost your first love. You've lost that sense of devotion. And, and it's not to condemn, but it's to encourage and to exhort maybe to come back to that sense of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to devoting ourselves to the koinonia, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread together, to fellowship, to hospitality, and to prayer. But what did God do then? What did God do when they did these things? Everyone was filled with awe, we read. A sense of awe around the church. A sense of God is amongst this people, God is present here. And people will recognize that. They will recognize God's presence and power. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. There was a power present here to the early church. There was a sense of awe, fear of God, and there were wonders and miraculous signs which were on the increase. And they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And a wonderful thing that God did, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
And that's what we want to see, isn't it? We, we are here as a church body. We are here to see people saved. We are here to see people led to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. That's why we exist. It's to make disciples of Jesus. And we want to see, do we not, an open heaven. We want to see a time of, of blessing and favor, the favor of God and of man. And Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we need to plug again into the power source. We are partners with God. We are empowered to do these things by the Holy Spirit. We are not trying to curry his favor or his blessing by our behaviors. But we can position ourselves and we can devote ourselves to certain things in a way of life that creates an environment and a place, a thin place, where God breaks in and blesses and multiplies and works miraculous workings and signs and wonders and where people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so I say to us all, let us devote ourselves afresh. That's the challenge to those coming into church membership today, but to all of us, to all of us, let us devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. If you are one of those people who put this Bible on your shelf every week and never touch it, it's time to reopen it and to re-engage with it. It's time to devote ourselves to fellowship, to break the radical individualism of society and social media and to be present, physically, emotionally present with God's people, to devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, to eating together, to worshipping together, to hospitality and to prayer. And let's see what God does as we meet together to praise and to worship him. I'm going to pray for us now. And... uh, Let me read this passage of scripture to you again. (coughs) Hear what we do and what what God does. And then let's ask God (coughs) to do those things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this body, this body of Christ, (laughs) this people of God. We thank you for those that today have committed to church membership and to serving and, and making this their home and being part of this body. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we consider our vision, our values over these coming weeks, that, Lord, we would be a devoted people 
And Lord, this sense of duty, this sense of devotion, it doesn't come out of earning your favour or your grace. It comes as a response, as a worshipful response to your great salvation. In view of God's mercy, (laughs) offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So Father, we pray um, that we, God, would increasingly be a devoted people. But we also pray for that sense of awe, that sense of fear, that sense of the presence of Almighty God amongst us. We pray for those signs and those wonders of your presence. We pray for those that are being added daily, God, to our number as they are being saved. We pray, Lord, as we move on in 2023, that we will know and see the favour of God and man. And we ask this, Lord, in and through the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.